Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. Rebel Status are an award-winning boutique headhunting firm within the iGaming space. They have been delivering recruitment and senior search assignments for more than 20 years with industry-leading guarantees and assessments. They are more than just headhunters, with an emphasis on long-term relationships and a foundation that has been built on quality, transparency, and relentless obsession with providing excellence. We, as IGM Next, have been using Rebel Status for our own recruitment, and they have always been great to us, so make sure to check them out. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders, this is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Heidi Loftus. Hey, Heidi. How are you? Doing, doing great. How about yourself? Good, good. You're calling in from Portugal. I'm calling in from Malta. Yes, yes. And uh, I'm in the Algarve, uh, just southern, southern coast of Portugal. It's a gorgeous day here, just like I'm sure it is there. So. Fantastic. Well, here is one of the not so good days, but... We keep living. So, Ken, Ken, you are my first guest onto these uh, shows. Uh, I've been asked by my team at iGaming Next to do to cover the HR areas in the podcasts. Awesome! And I'm honored to be your first guest. I'm excited too. And I think it's quite. I go in with a big bang. I mean, I got the VP from Hotjar uh, to talk about remote working. It's quite cool, especially in these times. It's, so, Ken, what about yeah. you? Why Hotjar? Uh, so, just brief uh, intro to what Hotjar is, maybe, and then uh, dive in about myself. Uh, Hotjar uh, uh, was founded in Malta in 2014 by our founder and CEO, David Darmanin, joined by uh, four other co-founders, uh, uh, three of which live in Malta as well. Uh, and with the idea that the way to let people know what's going on on their website 
required additional tool sets that are not common. So instead of just counting how many people and how many visitors you want to see what they're doing and how they're interacting with your site. And that was the basic premise of what started Hotjar uh, in 2014 and uh, launched in 2015 after a year of development. Uh, the product had a lot of great things, the, the right magic, the right, uh, definitely a good share of luck, but the founding team did a fantastic job building a product that was right for the market and uh, it took off. And in 2016, a year later, I joined as VP of operations and uh, which I uh, is my, uh, my title today. Although because of our success and growth, uh, my responsibilities have definitely grown. Uh, I was the 14th team member to join Hotjar and now we have 158 and growing. Uh, and uh, four and a half years later. So what attracted me to Hotjar uh, initially was, um, and at that time I was living in Mexico on vacation in Belize, and I was in between consulting gigs myself, um, working as an independent freelancer and um, had uh, come across this cool new tool that was uh, just making traction called Hotjar and uh, saw that they were looking for uh, a position that actually suited my skill set well. Uh, and it was remote. And I'm an American. Uh, I've been an, uh, a, an expat uh, living nomadically with my family for the past uh, almost seven years. And uh, the, uh, there was a lot of magic that lined up for me. Uh, I reached out, got to know uh, David, the CEO, uh, and uh, I had skills that he was looking for, and uh, Hotjar definitely checked the boxes for me, and was extremely attracted to the remote-based uh, 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 aspect that David had put together, uh, and was uh, growing with his vision for the company, and uh, suited my core values, uh, aligned with what the company had outlined as core values extremely well, and best decision of my life. Uh, so before we go into how Hotjar is actually working in terms of remote settings, there are three touch points I want to just uh, add on what you're saying. One, Hotjar uh, speaking to the wider audience and the market. I mean, even myself uh, viewing sort of the, the, the movies after a recording from Hotjar. I mean, you don't have to be analytical to actually see the value of uh, of the system. It's absolutely amazing. It's fun to see where the players have been. Um, two, um, the mo nomad life. It's, I mean, you're actually doing quite a high profile job at Hotjar. You're covering all the operations, including the HR areas and all the people operations, basically, doing the nomad life. I mean, this could be considered a dream life for many people. And it, it works for me and, and, and my family for sure. It, 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 I will say it's definitely not for everybody. Um, and uh, there's several people at Hotjar who've tried it and have said not for them. And there's a lot of people who are just very, very happy with the fact that they don't have to go into an office space and they can work in their, their basement or a co-working space or what have you. So on the role spec that got you interested or how they reached out to you, was that the big, you know, boom saying this is a remote position and are you still doing this in terms of recruitment yes uh yeah so initially i uh, i reached out to them after finding out uh, about hotjar in the position and uh 
the there was a number of things that attracted me the product uh, first and foremost um, and uh, but definitely I was looking for uh, a remote based uh, client or gig at the time um, and I've been working remotely uh, for uh, a number of different clients for a couple of years and definitely now in a post uh, or current or post pandemic world where uh, remote is a hot topic back then it definitely was not four and a half years ago it was not mm-hmm. a hot topic and so um there wasn't as many companies that had that were as progressive and uh looking to go remote simply for the benefits that remote uh offers and the flexibility that offers it and one of the things that really got david and the bounty team uh behind the aspect of remote work was the aspect of borders beyond Malta. So at the time, yeah, uh, the, the, the co-founding team in Malta recognizing uh, a vision that was, you know, that was global. And today we, we service customers in 180 plus customer or countries. So we are global. Um, and the idea behind it was, well, in order to make sure that we can attract the, the, the right talent to support our customers in the in, in the time zones that uh, matter most that we focus on, we need to think beyond Malta. And they began uh, hiring uh, in other countries. And so um, the I think at the time I was the second person that was American, uh, the first person uh, living in Mexico. Uh, and we've continued to grow from there. And so now we're in 31 countries worldwide, 32 countries now you know, worldwide and growing. Um, and it uh, was an idea that the founders recognized that, you know, let's hire where the talent is, not yeah. hire where we are. So gaming, as we represent in these uh, programs, um, or in the in the starting, what would you call it, starting uh, the, the spots right now uh, of looking into the future of working from another place. Um, and it's going to be nice going into your view on the hybrid workings. Uh, Let's go there a little bit later on. Uh, But in terms of recruitment, let's hire where the talent is. You only have one office and that's the one in Malta. And it's really not a, I guess technically it's an office, it's a mailing address within a Regis (laughs) uh, co-working facility. Um, And we used to have an office uh, in uh, in St. Julian's and it was, so infrequently used what we re- what we recognized is oh well if you know if the refrigerator broke well the, the stuff that's in there could could rot for two weeks before somebody goes into the office uh swings by and happens to do maintenance and and you know try keeping it's a plant that. alive right um the and so we had this space that was we need for a, you need a mailing address but we had the space that wasn't being used and uh the you know maybe once or twice a week somebody would swing by, uh, but uh, you know it was it it was not an efficient use of money, capital, mm-hmm. space. There was waste that we were using, and we try to be an environmentally conscious uh, company as well. And so uh, ultimately, it led us to less headaches, better use of time, energy, and space uh, by running uh, a co-working space and. That's, uh, that's so saving the money, are you putting the money instead on the employees in terms of benefits or? I would say we're not saving a significant amount of money, uh, but we are saving some money. And as a principle, uh, while uh, Hotjar is a profitable company, we do invest our revenue back into the business, uh, into growing the team, 
growing the facilities, obviously, uh, as a thriving business, uh, your uh, team members are, are payroll costs or your number one cost. And so by default, we're doing that. And over time, since we've been able to grow, we have been able to mature our salaries and help to define a remote-based salary model that uh, we believe to be equitable and has been very attractive to, to pulling in talent. Happy to talk more about that if it's helpful. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. Are you? How much are you actually looking into the specific markets in terms of salary benchmarking, etc.? Yeah. Um, so if you think about it, we're, we're in uh, 32 different countries, which means uh, we have people in uh, expensive job market or more expensive job markets, such as say uh, London or Berlin. Uh, but we also have team members who are in uh, the Ukraine or um, Russia or uh, Albania, we're much lower cost of living. And however, we want to enable our team to have the freedom to move around. We believe it's very critical. And so we've hired somebody who uh, started, you know, myself being nomadic, I've moved around, uh, I've moved around quite a bit uh, since joining Hotjar, probably been to, uh, lived in 20 some odd countries over the past four and a half years. But the, I'm kind of the edge case exception, but we have had a number of, we had one individual has been with us for three and a half years. He started living in Portugal. He's Portuguese. He and his girlfriend moved to Poland and they lived there for a year and a half. And now they live uh, in the Netherlands. Well, instead of saying, well, okay, um, the Netherlands is more expensive. We'll pay you more there. But if you move and you go back to Poland, we'll pay you less because it's less cost of living. We basically said that that's a nightmare. It's a nightmare mm -hmm. to scale. It's a nightmare to manage and maintain. Mm -hmm. And so what we do, baseline all salary back to London. And so we will, we pay uh, the wages, uh, the equivalent to London, we picked it out to be one of the more expensive cities throughout Europe and said, let's baseline our talent pool based on that. Uh, and uh, we uh, and let's index it to the high end of a London uh, uh, wage. And so mm -hmm. all of our uh, wages, for instance, for our software engineers, our most common position is baseline to a London, uh, uh, London based wage uh, on uh, to uh, indexed on the high quartiles. So what that means is if you want to live in London, you're, you're making a, a good salary, you're in the upper end quartile, but we have individuals in Kenya, we have individuals in Greece, and they're living on, you know, they're being paid a London beige wage. And so from our vantage point, it shouldn't matter. We want the best talent. So let's pay uh, an attractive wage that will then attract to them. And if somebody chooses to move to a different location, as long as they have good internet, exactly. they're, they're, they can do their yeah. job. Nice. Um, what about benefits? I mean, so in, in gaming, you have these very, very standard, at least in Malta, you know, uh, gym card, health insurance, everything at the office. You have uh, breakfast, you have Friday beers. That's sort of the standard package. Some yeah. might have some flights going, you know, two times a year to your home country. What about, what about you guys? So based on our model, uh, we like to, uh, just like with the freedom to live within a within a geography, and, and to be fair, it's not completely free. Like I couldn't get up and move to Australia. The time zone differences would, would, would be a deal breaker. It would, uh, it would kill the productivity for my team. And so we do hire within uh, two different regions, uh, Europe and Africa, EMA, EMEA, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, which you got to, you know, 
millions of people in that uh, that job applicant pool, which would be great. And you can move anywhere in between uh, EMEA um, throughout your time with this, or the Americas, which is the same same aspect from you know from Chile to Canada and anywhere in between. Um, and so we hire based on those regions. Uh, with giving the flexibility and the freedom within those. We apply that same type of uh, uh, philosophy to our perks. So mm -hmm. our perks, uh, we tend to be a, a bit more non-traditional. Um, so in the aspects of, you know, Friday beers or something like that, well, what if I don't like Chesk? And I'm sorry, yeah. I don't. <laughs> um, the, uh, and I want, you know, a good, uh, you know, Samuel Adams uh, lager or something like that. Well, um, what we tend to do is, our perks give the ability for each team member to invest in what's important to them. So for instance, we have uh, a well-being budget. Uh, so mm -hmm. every team member that works for us gets uh, 2,400 euros a year, or you, know, you could average that to 200 euros a month to spend on their well-being. And so whether that well-being is a gym membership, uh, barbells, if you want at home for your home office, or, um, or if you want to spend that on uh, meditation, or massage, or whatever it is that brings your health in a non-medical way, your health and your well-being um, to, to focus, we want you to invest in that. And so all mm. of our perks are really based around, we want you to have the freedom to use it and apply it because we're budgeting for it. So how you spend it, we'd rather you spend it on something that you're gonna get the most use out of. And that, that includes uh, our uh, home office budget where you, you buy the laptop that you wanna work on. You're gonna be working on it every day. So let's not give you a Lenovo laptop if you hate Lenovo's and you wanna go Mac or what have you. Same type of thing. We give you a budget, you're an adult, you spend it on um, what you're gonna get the most optimization out of. And we believe we're gonna get the best return. Mm. So with with an office and uh, then you have the the Friday beers with um, with the luxury of actually getting together. So you automatically with that sort of investment, you also get the culture and the engagement. People get to meet each other. Uh, what about culture at Hotjar? The, the the distances. I mean, then you have 150 people never actually meeting. How so yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, so the, at Hotchart, what we, in pre-COVID times, we've, uh, we would meet, everybody in the company would have a, a semi-annual meetup. So every six months, everybody had the opportunity to be flown together for an in-person meet and greet, you know, where you can give people a hug, you can, you know, shake their hand, you can share a beer um, in the flesh, right? And, um, and so we did that, um, you know, we've done that traditionally twice a year. And that's one way that encourages that kind of face-to-face -face connection. Uh, obviously, in COVID times, you're much more restricted with travel. And what are your thoughts uh, this year? This year, we're not looking to uh, to do a face-to-face. -face. It's um, you know, it's possible, um, obviously, that you know, different countries are going to start to open up and loosen up, but the aspect that all 32 or uh, a high majority of them are going to loosen up and mm -hmm. have the ability for all of us to fly together to a central location. We've kind of said, we want it, we, we want to be very upfront with our team that we think that's highly unlikely to happen. Um, I would say it's highly likely to happen within the next 12 months, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't, you know, um, to pull 150 some odd people together and we're growing. So by the end of the year, we'll be over 200. Mm -hmm. By the time you say, we're gonna plan an event for 200 people, 
well, we need to go scout the location. We want to, you know, look at the facilities, definitely take care of all that. And the logistical nightmare of planning that when you don't even know for sure where you're going to be or what country is going to be. We've kind of said, unfortunately, let's take a pause on that. Um, yeah. And we'll pick up on that. But we do a number of different things, both in person uh, like that, where the entire company comes together twice a year. Uh, but we also, another budget we have is what we call the working together budget, where if you want, if you've always been curious about, you know, Cape Town, South Africa, and we've got somebody there um, that's working from there, you want to see what it's like to work beside him or her, um, that person can offer to host other team members. And everybody has a 2000 euro a, a year budget that they can go and spend to fly to Cape Town to go work with this person. Uh, there's, there's requirements that we put together, like that person has to invite others. It can't just be them and their best friend. We want to encourage more mm -hmm. team building and more morale when those kind of events happen. But you can do that. You've got 2,000 euros a year that you can invest in doing that and, and meeting that. So you can do that in small teams. You can do that in cross-departmental teams. It doesn't matter. Um, and those have been very popular in the past. Um, Again, we haven't been able to do that with COVID, but we have then shifted, we've shifted to doing a lot of stuff online. So, sorry, Heidi. Yeah, and no worries, no worries. I just, I can see that on the paper or in theory, this is, you know, the dream. You know, all our people, they travel to each other, they go and see a game together, they work better together because they met and get some kind of rapport. Uh, is there any, I mean, as people are meeting face to face, there are always inclusions and not maybe exclusions, but where one person is not actually traveling to meet the other ones or actually not coming to the Friday beers if this was in an office setting. How uh, is there any risk that you lose out on people not traveling or how, how do you keep track of this? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I would I would phrase it the way that you did as well, which is in an office, it also happens. So is, are we introducing any new risk that already does or doesn't exist? No, there are different people and different personalities that have different uh, aspects of what belonging is, right? And how to get the most out of it. So our biannual meetups where we would have, um, we would tell everybody, this is a requirement. We ask you to be here unless of course, you know, you have a circumstance such as, you know, it's, it's my partner's birthday or my kids uh, got this big performance or anything like that. But we would get uh, roughly 90% attendance at these events at any given time. Some people would be out for parental leave and whatnot, but for the most part, everybody knew to go. Um, and that's the way we make the most out of it. And at those gatherings, there are people who are more introverts and don't want to interact in a larger group. And there are people who are more extroverts and it's, it's a mix, just like there would be in any office environment. Mm -hmm. So I think what exists in the office also exists in the same type of remote aspect, but you do have to fine tune your your lenses to be able to uh, you know see the differences and and how best to support individuals in different ways. But just like you do it in a real office, you do it. Yeah, it sounds like with the uh, with the uh, working as remote as you do. I mean, hundred and ten percent the responsibility of the employee lies a little bit more on the employee. I mean, everything from IT setup, your own health insurance, obviously you mind your own perks, uh, but also the part of 
it's up to me to be included because as it sounds to on you i mean there are things to be included in uh yes there there, there are uh the it's so just where the a, harry potter uh, system comes in <laughs> tell us about that yeah yeah so we have we have a number of different aspects in which we try to promote inclusion across different people who are interested in different things and so they surface naturally in an opt-in environment such as uh on our you know we use slack internally for uh, real-time collaboration so people create different all kinds of different channels there's a bread making channel there's a uh, an american football channel there's a an lgbtq channel there's all kinds of different aspects that the team naturally forms around but to your point those are opt-in so what do we do to also help to pull people in mm -hmm. um and so one of the things that we did is uh, we created what we call houses inspired by Harry Potter with the houses. Um, and uh, the uh, so any new team member that joins is automatically assigned to a house. And that house is a mixture of cross departmental uh, uh, other teammates, uh, roughly six to eight people in a house. And as we grow, we add more houses. Um, and it, and so it's meant to be kind of a collection sounding board so that we make sure people get into there. Um, into houses and there's uh, different houses have different ceremonies as to how they welcome a new house member and uh, and then we then use the, that house system to when we organize if we organize for uh, a game that we're doing on zoom we might organize by houses um, if we're doing uh, we've done other aspects from brainstorming competitions to charitable contribution ideas assigning it to the houses to come up with ideas. So you get a little bit more interaction amongst groups of people who are not normally, uh, you know, who are interacting with people that they normally don't work with. And it's yeah. another way that we try to mix it up. And we do keep, <laughs> you know, we don't have a, a, a sorting hat, um, but- um, Who would that we, be? <laughs> that would be people from my team for sure. So anytime somebody's joining, they do look at who is, you know, are there too many, you know, people from marketing in this one? And you know, here's a new marketing person. No, we're not going to put them in that house. We're going to put them in this house. To, just to keep more diversity. So you, mm -hmm. uh, you, you automatically ingrain that. Amazing. And this is well received with employees, I guess. Already it is. onboarding, perhaps? It's done at onboarding. Uh, mm -hmm. They're told their house that they're in, and then they're put into the Slack group that the house has um, together and, and a couple of other channels that we use for collaboration uh, for the houses um, so we can communicate and more, more likely so they can communicate themselves as a group. Mm -hmm. And some houses are super active and do all kinds of things. They'll do you know monthly lunches together and others are less active and they wait for engagement uh, from uh, in an activity-based aspect. but. Do people ever want to change us? I don't think we've ever had that request, no. Okay, so the hatter, the the, the <laughs> distributor does a good job there. Nice. It must be. I mean, That's an interesting question. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen someday. Let us know and how to handle that. Because um, <laughs> as we, we were talking about this, uh, um, so I run this HR network. HR Connect. So the heads of HR uh, meet me once a month, if not more often, and we discuss with guests um, and we discuss within our uh, within the group in terms of 
what is happening right now. And what is happening right now is everything from vaccines, home offices, going back to the office, etc. So I would say that almost everyone are looking at a hybrid setup. And this is where you come in. Uh, because I know that you have an inter entirely different view on the hybrids. So the hybrids that my members describe is two to three days in the office. But the actual sort of framework around this has not yet been cleared because times are still uncertain and things are going well as it is, however the setups are. 100% you guys working from uh, not the office. Uh, what is the risks with hybrid? Why, why is your view on hybrids uh, not a good one? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm definitely an all or nothing on the hybrid model either. Don't have 100% of the people going to the office or 100% of people that work from home. The hybrid model um, it, it has a couple of different drawbacks from, from my vantage point. Uh, number one, uh, you, we already touched on the ability of maybe for, you know, you kind of have clicks that kind of uh, go together in a normal office space. Well, an office with hybrid where it's either schedule people to go in or schedule people to um, or, or to, to you opt in and you build your schedule either way you sort it you're either going to have the problem of i want to go to the office and my friends are there i hope it's their week if if it's assigned or i want to or or maybe i can opt in and i have to work only a certain number of days and me and my friends all go work together you create you amplify that click in doing so you end up having much more insular aspects um, and less common ground what you want to do in a healthy work environment is have people feel that they're equal that they're equally respected and that they have the freedom uh, to work within how they want to work with um, and if it's oh wow i want to work on tuesdays and thursdays in the office because that works well for me but another click is already in there oh man i can't work at that time um, or somebody else has already monopolized that, or um, or maybe I don't want to go in on Tuesdays and Thursdays because the people that are in there are not the people I click with. Well, again, level the playing ground as opposed to physical barriers of when I can and can't go in. Um, and then you have the aspect of uh, the bigger aspect that I see is actually um, the in order to encapsulate if if you if there's a need to go into the office and the need for face-to-face, -face, then uh, presumably there's a need for control of that in order to keep the rhythm going. In other words, you want these eight people always going in because they work together. Um, well, now that you've opened the door and people see what it's like to work at home, or there's different aspects of maybe this school opened up, but this one hasn't. Mine goes private, yours goes public, and and there's different aspects. Or my spouse's, uh, you know, aspects impact my schedule, my ability to to come into the office. All of those things are going to happen. They happened before, but now they're happening in a much more rigorous uh, aspect. And so the the ability for me to come in and work with a group of eight that I used to now is actually much more constrained. I now have much more external constraints that say, oh, wow, I can't do it that time because I need to do childcare or what have you. Or um, the dog we got during uh, the pandemic now needs to be walked twice a day or whatever. Um, 
it becomes much more problematic uh, than it ever has. And so you've opened up the door for this freedom, but now you're pushing people right back into an environment where some people have the freedom, some don't. The working establishments throughout. Uh, I say, can the entire office save money, empower the people to stay at home? They can get together and work at cafes or they can book their own time at a, at a co-working space when they want, what works for them. And when needed, the company can organize that um, associate, you know, uh, for for the for those to benefit from. So what we're saying is basically, if you need to have a framework to set uh, where people come into the office to meet whatever relevant people that you're going to meet with, that's a no go. Whereas if you have no limit space, people can come and go as they want. Maximum one day they can work from home. Then that would be. Fine. Is there any solution that you can work both from home or from the office? Uh, there, I would say it has to be a hundred percent optional. Optional. Um, so at, at Hotjar, one of the things that that uh, that we started to do before we moved out of the office is to try to encourage more people to utilize the office. It was a great space, and so we wanted it. You know, it was, it was a great you know relaxing space. We had a nice setup. We had. Uh, you know, nice perks and easy to, to get in and out. Um, but what we noticed is uh, all of a sudden, since it was optional, the same group of people would always meet there up, up on Wednesday. Mm. And what that meant was those people, and that included a couple, that included like our CEO and a couple of executive members. So those people became in the know because those side conversations that they would have, mm. only this click of people had that advantage of the CEO's ear right in front of them. Nobody else had that except for the people who had the ability to come into the office on that optional day. Um, and so it created a bit of, um, you know, inequality for those not living in Malta or even mm. those in Malta that didn't want to drive all the way, you know, from Malija to St. Julian's and there's you know, a, because of traffic or whatever. Yeah, quite a big risk as well of favoritism. You know, yeah. you always come to the office. You're extra loyal to the to the team. That's right. You feel obligated then to come in. Of oh, it's this optional thing. I guess I should go in there. Um, and I'm not saying there's not benefits from going in there and what you can you know see and be mentored by the CEO and doing that. That those kind of opportunities definitely exist, but mm -hmm. they then become favored or they become um, you know obviously in the HR world we're we're really you know, in, in, encouraged and concerned about inclus inclusivity. Mm. Well, there's nothing more exclusive than something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you think about, you know, how does that, how is that right in balancing and leveling the playing field from inclusivity field? It's not, it's the opposite. Now the Dude. CEO might choose to say, I want to mentor this person mm -hmm. and you can take that separate, but when it's based on the confines of an office and who can physically get to them, it's not fair. Um, two points. One, productivity, because this is probably one of the reasons as to why management would want to keep an office. Uh, and second point, you, Hotjar started off like this. This is how it was built. So everything has been sort of, this was the starting point and everything after that are add-ons, positive add-ons for the employee and for Hotjar in the end <clears throat> as a company. Whereas, imagine a 250 on average employee company 
how should they start? You know, gaming, you can work online. Most of the companies can actually do online um, or fully digital. Where to start? With the Harry Potter houses or with the home offices or, you know, and the united front really has to be there from management. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a big ball to start rolling from from nothing. Yeah. Um, the You're absolutely right. And I've taken a, a number of calls and uh, uh, correspondence with people of, you know, hey, we, we started off in the office. We've now been working at home for a year. We've decided we want to keep working from home for a year. What do we need to do? And you're absolutely right. It starts with the top. The, the management has to be bought in. This is what we're doing. So let's rethink everything that's in place, process-wise, procedure, tools, security, what have you. Let's rethink all that to make sure it's optimized for security um, and uh, optimized for performance and uh, reliability. The aspect of I need people to come into the office for productivity to to be powerful is a is a dated and broken concept. I mean, mm-hmm. the you know think about all the time people spent commuting and having to commute back and so forth. At the end of the day, you measure productivity by output. So mm-hmm. how much are, is that person getting done? How much is that team doing? Are they meeting their goals? Are they exceeding them? Are they underperforming? That's where you get the idea of um, you know people's productivity and, and performance. And mm-hmm. oftentimes what we found is when we see productivity lagging, uh, we should probably re-optimize what we have in place. And so I would say that the nature of us working remote makes us more agile and more leaning into the aspect of what we're doing uh, needs to be re-optimized and not status quo Um more so, and I know it, you don't have to be remote to think that way, but I think it by uh, by being remote, you lean into that more so. Yeah, you might be it might be visible more. Um, you see it quicker. Yeah. All right. So how how do you actually measure productivity? You're saying like, does every person have KPIs on you know from scratch, or is this how is the setup? Yep. Uh, about uh, a little over a year ago, we adopted the OKR framework and uh, with um, and decided to cascade OKRs starting at the company level first on an annual basis. But every quarter, every team or squad uh, is going to have their own objectives and key results. And we go through a process of planning them over a course of about a month where we first ideate them and then refine them and then finalize them. So uh, this week we're finalizing our Q2 OKRs for uh, Q2 uh, 2021. And uh, what we've gotten into it is you see it, you know, what what is the objective the revenue squad is going to have or the marketing uh, team is going to have? What are their objectives? And you see them up front uh, and we share them across the company. We're very transparent. And so you put this out there to say, this is what these people are doing this quarter. So you can see at that very clearly of, is that a bold thing that they're trying to get done this quarter? Or is it like, uh, yep, we're just going to do this and, and keep the momentum uh, going and not go, um, not do anything tough. So you begin to see the teams that are perform, you know, that are betting for uh, more progress versus uh, more, uh, more uh, run of the mill. Um, and, you can then uh, track their performance. So every week within the same tool that we use, we're, you know, teams report um, how they're trending and tracking towards their objectives and key results. And so it becomes very obvious of either 
who's not taking, uh, you know, not, not taking more aggressive bets and who is taking more aggressive bets and how they're performing against them. Um, and we're not looking for every team to take big bets every single quarter, but we also want to make sure people aren't phoning home, uh, you know, uh, just a slam dunk uh, objective that's really not putting themselves, making them stretch. One question that came to mind in terms of working remotely, it's not, it's, it's also the eight hour day What's your view on this? Some, you know, I remember in school you get, you know, on Mondays you get these 10 points and by the end of the week you're supposed to be finished. Uh, whenever you're finished, after that you can do the fun stuff. Uh, or, you know, when you start working, it's especially if you're working shifts, you know, you're here eight hours and then you're free on the, you know, on the sharp hour. How, how is that set up for you guys? Yeah. Again, we try to be as flexible as we can be to make sure that collaboration can happen, but the people's own freedoms uh, can also be maximized as well. So um, we do uh, we do ask that anybody that joined the company work uh, a 40-hour week, um, uh, dedicate 40 hours to Hotjar. Uh, but how and when they dedicate those 40 hours, we don't have a lot of prescribed aspects to that. And so we do ask everybody to work um, a Monday through Friday, 40 hours. But if you, uh, you know, if you, if you're an early riser and want to start, you know, working at 6 a.m., that's great. You know, that means, and if you want to work until 6 p.m. but take, you know, uh, four hours off in the middle of the day, that's fine. Um, the, you know, there are some. Um, so what you'll see is different people start and stop at, the, at different times throughout mm -hmm. the day. Certain people mm -hmm. might take a two-hour lunch um, and get a workout in at the same time. That's mm -hmm. fine. You know, the, um, different people. There's been times where I've been traveling, and you know, we wanted to go see the changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace. Let's go do that. You know, I'm just I'm going to make sure I don't schedule a meeting, and you know, my mm -hmm. wife, kids, and I go check that out. Um, there's there's no reason why you can't build that into your workday. Um, and the the only thing that we do ask consistently is that everybody in the company, what we found is there's still a need for global or regional collaboration between the Americas and, and EMA, EMEA. Mm -hmm. um, is, uh, so we ask everybody to be online from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Core European hours. time. Yeah. So those three hours, we do ask that everybody be available so that you can have reliable uh, collaboration uh, for with everybody in the company. We can do team events at that time and so forth. Everything seems very well planned and thought through. Productivity, you got it. Uh, inclusion, you got it. Uh, but in terms of meeting setups and efficiency, uh, what are the do's and don'ts? You know, we who start now, you know, where, you know, you have to be in time for the meeting. Uh, you have to have the video on. Uh, but there can still be meetings with 10 people as if we were in a room together. Uh, you know, but this cannot really be working with you guys. It, I mean, it, it can, and at times it does, but that's not our default. Our default mm -hmm. uh, is that the fewer number of people in a meeting, well, A, keep meetings to a minimum. You should try not to meet because as individuals, um, we're all professionals and experienced, um, and we can collaborate online through many different forums. Um, it, we want as many people doing heads down, deep thinking work 
as much as possible because that's where the real work happens. That's where we ship, mm. you know, really good code. That's where, you know, we do impressive marketing campaigns or service our customers well. But when you're in meetings, you can't do that. So uh, we try to encourage fewer meetings as possible and fewer people as possible in those mm. meetings. And um, Jeff Bezos uh, from Amazon uh, characterized the two pizza rules. So you want, you know, imagine you had, you know, two pizzas that you ordered that's how many people you want to be able to feed that many people in your meeting. Um, that's how big you should have. So ideally you want to have like no more than five people in a meeting um, and in order to get stuff done. Now we break that rule all the time, right? We don't have a hard and fast uh, rule on that, but we have that as our rule of thumb. And so when mm -hmm. meetings are that big, you should have a good reason to make sure that you have that many people uh, because that's an expensive meeting. And that uh, people's time is extremely valuable. So mm. we have a mantra of it should be a pain in the ass to take to get somebody's time. And okay. we want to encourage that. Um, what more rules do you have? Okay, so as few people as possible, uh, as short as possible, video it, on. Video on, absolutely. Can you be out walking? Uh, yeah. the, um, you can be out walking, but oftentimes when we're uh, in a meeting, um, you know, it, the, uh, you know, the out walking around could be distracting. Maybe you're wanting to share a screen or you're asking for collaboration mm -hmm. on a document. Um, and then the wind starts blowing you get the microphone noise of the wind blowing. And, um, so, uh, you know, we have no rule against being out walking around, but we also say, is it, is that really practical? Yeah. Um, no. video on for sure. Um, it's, uh, there's nothing more, um, there's no other way to really make sure you've got the connection than to see somebody and, and make sure their eyes are on you. If they're looking away, if they're working on things throughout, then they're not, uh, they're not fully engaged. And in order to keep them engaged, you got to have a short meeting. If you're running long winded meetings, you lose people. Um, you get that zoom fatigue yeah. that people talk about, um, advanced material and, uh, send, uh, advanced material uh, for reading in advance. So you're not, everybody's like, oh, let me just read through this. And okay, let's spend the next 20 minutes reading through it or. I'll, I'll join you on the water, by the way. Cheers, cheers. That's good, cheers. <laughs> um, promotions, how do you know if a team member is, you know, you have the statistics in your systems and the person is sort of following all the, the meeting rules and uh, joining the Potter houses and the inclusion stuff. But what about sort of promotions? Does that work any differently? Uh, I would say it, it probably not extraordinarily differently, but we do systematize it like we do uh, many things uh, in the company. So every six months, uh, everybody goes for a performance review. And as part of a performance review, um, you're also eligible for uh, a seniority review uh, as well as a compensation review. We make very, very uh, clear and deliberate choice of at that performance review, not only are we talking to the team member about their performance, but they're guaranteed to get an, uh, a conversation about their salary and their readiness for promotion. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't mean either one of them change, but it means we're gonna talk about them to say, hey, based on your performance, relative to your peers, you know, are you exceeding or not? And should there be a change in, in compensation or title? So at those performance reviews, we'd look at two criteria. Number one, how are they performing against our core values? We take our core values very, very seriously. Um, there's five core values, happy to share them and you can you know, share them with, with, uh, with this audience as well. Um, That's good. And 
the um, we we what we ask that people definitely adhere to them because we feel it's the best way to work and service our customers and it served us really well to date. So um, that's number one. Uh, and then we asked um, how they're performing against their seniority criteria. So every position in the company has criteria that we evaluate for seniority. So if somebody's a, uh, an associate engineer or a software engineer or a senior software engineer, with, there's criteria that we've already mapped out that determines here's the criteria for that. Um, so as part of the performance review, um, the, the leader manager for that software engineer is giving them feedback as to how they're performing within their current band um, and has solicited feedback from peers and uh, as well as the team member themselves, as well as um, the, um, the their their own purview on their execution uh, for, against their OKRs and, and evaluates, are they performing well within the core values and have they performed well against the seniority criteria? And you could be telling it you could yeah. be killing it on the seniority criteria, but if you're not paying attention to the core values and there's concerns about you know transparency or your commitment to our customers or what have you, that promotion is not going to happen. It, it's just not um, that you don't meet the criteria. Okay, so what about the future? What if we go back to gaming? I mean, you guys are obviously uh, going to continue the way that you are. Gaming specifically, but the world generally, where are we in 5, 10, 20 years? I mean, my kids are fortnighting at home. They're probably going to be so ready for this when they come in age. But are they never going to go to enough? Like, what's your vision on this? What do you think? Uh, I think that... Uh... I like to believe that uh, the pandemic just accelerated the aspect of remote work uh, mm -hmm. dramatically and that it will continue to stay on a rapid pace. The aspect of going back into the office and a hybrid model um, and or a dedicated full-time model, I think are, are, is actually going to detract from uh, in employers from attracting the talent that they want. It's going to be like requiring suits and ties that uh, people used mm -hmm. to have in the 60s or something. It's going to be seen as something so dated that I have to travel to here um, to, to, to get to work and, and do my job when I can easily save, you know, an hour and a half a day and commute and stay right here. Um, so I think that that's going to happen um, as a differentiation from employment. Mm -hmm. I also think that our tools are going to continue to get better. So we'll be able to replicate additional uh, aspects um, much more so. I mean, in the past year, we've seen an explosion of collaboration tools, many of them not too good, but a lot, but there's promise in, in a lot of areas. And so there's tools that we've begun to use to enhance collaboration. There's been online virtual meetup software, happy hour software that helps to bring in different elements. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll never replace the aspect of being physically able to meet somebody, um, but uh, it will, I think will continue to enhance the augmentation of a virtual world and break down borders, barriers, increase inclusion, increase diversity much more than we ever have in the past. I think, I think it's, we're just getting started. Especially in the digital world where, where we are working. Sorry, I'm not, I think we're up on almost 50 minutes already. So let's, uh, I think that we should, should round off. But my worries 
is that so if I have young children now and they're not getting used to the frequent meeting friends at school etc uh, that combined with the most popular what are you going to be when you grow up kind of job is now a youtuber not a doctor not an astronaut will 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 the future see a lot less engagement in terms of the works where you actually have to be in the office or in the hospital or out on the roads you know the actual not digital world that's uh, yeah. that might be questions for psychologists and future visionaries <laughs> i think uh I, I, look here, here's my view on it is rewind the clock uh, you know 80 years ago and you know radio was the way you know bef you know in the way people got their news was through a newspaper and then the radio came about and people began to get glued into their living room because you couldn't be far from the radio then you became glued to televisions and that was bad um and people mm -hmm. said you know that's too much media that's going to destroy your brain or whatever and now we're glued to screens in a different way on our you know on our phones or our computers and the, and I think we're far better off than we were when we were glued to a TV. I think this is just evolution of media and evolution of mm -hmm. consumption. And I believe there's far greater benefits than there are drawbacks. You know, my kids have been on the road for you know, uh, my son more than half his life. He's been a nomad. It's what he knows. And kids are extremely pliable. He just finished a big time geology unit online this morning that he's been working on for three months. It's like huge. And we're going to go out and celebrate tonight. There, and he's interacting with kids in, uh, in classrooms across uh, all of Europe uh, and building these and collaborating with them in different yes. ways that we didn't have when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think, again, I think we're just getting started and there's a different way to look at things every mm -hmm. single day. And the things that they're doing is gonna be, are going to be ancient 10 years from now as well. Yeah. And I mean, they're going to be so much more ready for it. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Heidi. It's been great. Lovely talk. having you. I mean, answers to everything. <laughs> Speak to you I again. Hope it was helpful. Yeah, sounds great. Take care. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.